Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service or at our main campus services on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. We hope you enjoy. Amen, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. Well, y'all, do me a favor, grab a Bible, go with me to Romans chapter 6. And if you are new, what's up? My name is Matt and uh, just a dude that works here and glad to be here with you guys. Now, we are, what are we in? Like the 13th, raise your hand if you were here week one of Romans. Heck yeah. All right, so uh, uh, a really long time ago because uh, I think we ended Roman in, in, in November. Does that sound right? So we ended in November, and then I had Tim speak last week because I was on vacation, um, and uh, uh, he picked up in Romans chapter 6, which we're going to be uh, uh, hopping back in today. Um, we started Romans like, I don't know, 13 weeks ago, or 13, I don't know, a very long time ago. We stopped in December because we did a little Christmas series, and then in January, I forgot what we did, but we did some things, and uh, we're picking back Romans up today. Now, here's what we're doing. We're taking like, I don't know, 47 weeks or something like that. I have it planned out, 47, 42, I don't know, something like that, weeks, going through verse by verse the book of Romans. There's 430 verses in the book of Romans. We're studying it in totality, learning what the Apostle Paul had to teach us um, uh, through the book of Romans. Now, look, uh, the Romans is one of the most impressive books um, I've ever studied. In fact, the single-handed most impressive book I've ever studied. Let me uh, tell you what some theologians talk about when they, when they read, when they study Paul's work 2,000 years ago, specifically the book of Romans. Romans is probably the greatest book in the Bible. Now, for those of you guys who are new to the Bible, it's, a, it's not a book, by the way. It's a library with 66 different books. And they're saying out of all 66 books, there's one book, Romans, rises above the rest of them. Uh, Romans stands among the most important pieces of literature in the intellectual history of Western man. Or it's safe to say that Romans is probably the most powerful human document ever written. Wow, so the book of Romans is important. The book of Romans is the Christian manifesto of freedom. The book tells us how God, through Jesus Christ, sets people free from slavery the slavery of sin, and old, beha- old behaviors and uh, old lifestyles. Now, here's the truth, and we, we discover this, we learn this really through um, the book of Romans. The truth is we either live heaven down or our natural default is to live hell up. Let me say this again to make this make sense. We as believers can make the constant decision to live heaven down, bring renewal, restoration into our lives and the lives of others, or naturally, naturally we will live hell up. Heaven down or hell up, that's our only two options. The rest of the world, they have one option. They will invite hell into their lives day in and day out by the selfish decisions that they make. You as believers empowered by God's spirit have the capacity to live heaven down. We're gonna talk about that today. But when Paul wrote the book of Romans, I'm gonna do a quick little recap because it's been a while since we've been in it. I know, I know uh, Tim was here last week, but I don't think he did a recap. Um, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, he had been a Christian preacher for some 20 years now. He's had a long walk with Jesus and he's learned a lot over those many years. Now, during the authorship of this letter around 55 or so AD, Paul's life was being threatened. So he was unsure if he was actually gonna make it to Rome, which by the way, that's the letter, it's, written, it's not written to Los Angeles. It's written to Rome 2,000 years ago, right? Hence the name Romans. So in light of that reality, he wrote the book of Romans as if he was never going to actually make it to Rome to teach the early Christians about who Jesus Christ actually was. So he wrote him a letter, so comprehensive that if that the Christians in Rome could have the gospel that Paul preached, even if he wasn't physically there to preach it. So because of all this, Romans is different than all the other letters, by the way, those are called epistles in scripture, um, than all the different letters that he wrote. His other letters, for example, um, we did a series I don't know, a while back uh, in Young Adults on Galatians. Galatians was written to a specific church in Galatia. 
and it was written for a very specific reason, the Judaizers. If you care to know more, go on our podcast. We did like 10 or 15 weeks through the book of Galatians, right? But this is a very specific purpose addressed to a very specific location. Now, the chal- or what he really talks about in Romans is really different because it's not the problems in Rome, but rather the problem solver who is in Rome and who is in and, and, and goes throughout the entire world, God himself. Much of Paul's writings, especially the book of Romans, all deal with theology. Romans, more than any other work that he penned, dealed with theology. The majority of it is theology. Um, I'll teach you really quick about like, how Paul wrote the book of Romans. We're not going to get to this until like chapter 12, but all from 12 down, so from chapter 11 all the way down, all of it is about theology. What does the word theology mean? Theos, God. Ology, study of. Like biology is the study of life. Theos is the study of God, who he is, what he is like, what his nature is, what his personality is, has he revealed himself to mankind, is truth knowable, all these types of things. Theology, right? So 11 down is all about theology. 12 onward is like, I kind of coined this, walkology. In light of what you just learned, this then is how you're to live. I mean, it begins in, uh, in 12, therefore, in light of what we just talked about, about who God is, what sin is, all of that, this then is now how you need to live your life. We'll talk about that later on today as well. Now, he wrote the book of Romans in such a way that if it was the only book this is crazy. If, if you were on an island somewhere, are you handed to those, you know, we always say, like, what happened to the people in the Amazon that never heard the name of Jesus? If you handed them single-handedly just the book of Romans, they would have enough to understand the problem and nature of sin, and it'd be sufficient enough for your salvation and ability to live in the power of God's Spirit. The book of Romans is an important book. Why? The theme of Romans is pivotal. It is the righteousness of God. What does the word righteousness mean? We've defined it in weeks past, but let me redefine it for you. Righteousness is to pursue a right standing with God and others. That's what the word means. It's an old churchy term, biblical word, but righteousness to be in right standing with God and others. Put another way, the theme of Romans is how you and I, sinful, broken human beings, can get right with a perfect, holy God. That's why the book of Romans is so pivotal and so important for us to understand how you and I can get right with God. Now, before we hop into where we're headed today, let me... uh, Give you a question once you get to turn and discuss for like 30 seconds or so. Turn to a neighbor, here's your question. What is one of your favorite places to go on vacation? All right, so like all expenses paid, maybe you've been before, where would you want to go? Where have you been? What's, what's, what's like your vacation? Is it your family go to Hawaii? You guys go to Cabo? I don't know, you go to, where else would, where else would you go? Uh, Hemet? No, I'm just kidding, no one goes to Hemet. But like, where's the place that you go for vacation? All right, turn to a neighbor, you got 30 seconds, ready, say go. All right, all right, bring it on up. Favorite place, go on vacation. Any, uh, any volunteers? Anyone? In the back. Disney World. All right, never been, but I'd love to go. What's up? South Carolina. All right. Anyone else? Oh, Santorini. I've been there. Place is cool. I've also been to South Carolina. Not been to Disney World. What's up? Southern Italy. Where specifically? Okay, okay. Anyone else? What is it? Is that Yosemite? Okay, there you go. I was like, yeah. Yosemite, dude. Sick. Uh, anyone else? Ireland. All right. I've never been there, but that sounds like a cool place. Anyone else? I have a red beard, so I mean, I guess I could, I could fit in there. Uh, anyone? Someone, what's up? What is it? Okay. Last call? Each and every single year, uh, there's a family at our church um, that gives my, my family, uh, more specifically my father-in-law, he's a senior pastor of our church, um, a, a free vacation somewhere. And, uh, and 
I wouldn't be able to go on this vacation if it wasn't for him, and I don't think he'd be able to go on this vacation if it wasn't for uh, his buddy, because we're pastors and we're poor, but uh, <laughs> um, we got to go to this incredible place. It's Jackson Hole, uh, Wyoming, and every year on uh, the same week, which was last week, uh, I go to Jackson Hole, and I attempt to snowboard, and I always remind myself how unathletic I am, and so um, we get to the top of this mountain, you know, and it's powder. It's just pouring, right? And I love powder because, like, I suck at snowboarding. When I fall, it's like, I just giggle. You know, it's like, Phew. you know, it's fun. But uh, it was my daughter's very first time, like, seeing snow. I mean, we was in Chicago, like, a few weeks ago, but, like, it just wasn't, it was like, it was like sleep. It didn't count, you know? This is, like, it's like tons of snow. Literally, it's like, it's like a winter wonderland, right, in Jacksonville. And so it's my daughter's very first time in snow, and it's, like, one of my favorite places in the world. And, uh, and so I was like, well, I hope it's going to be my daughter, you know, and my wife loves it, but I hope my daughter's going to love this place. We come here every single year, yada, 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 yada. And I was like, I think she's going to love the snow, you know, like, I think she's going to love it. Maybe we'll put her down, she'll crawl around. That's not what happened. In fact, I have a photo of what happened when I put my daughter in the snow. Not stoked. So uh, I love Jackson Hole. I guess, I don't know if she does that much. But anyways, uh, that was my week. Had nothing to do with what we're doing today, but I just want to share that with y'all. So if you have a Bible, do me a favor. Go with me. Romans chapter 6. I'm in the ESV version, like always. Um, let me help you out real quick. Uh, actually, let's just do a quick survey. Raise your hand if you would say you're new to Christianity within the last year. In the last year. Okay, just good. A few of us. It's great. Let me kind of like help you out real quick. Not in my notes, but like with what translations are. You know what I'm saying? There's the NIV, the NLT, the ESV. There are certain ones, right, that are more thought for thought, and other ones are word for word. Actually, let's do word for word over here, thought for thought over here, all right? So word for word um, would be like uh, Jesus was not working and with his disciples on the Sabbath, which is Saturday in Jewish and so that's word for word. That's what it would say in the Greek, maybe. Over here, like the thought for thought would be like, Saturdays are for the boys, right? So it's like, it's like completely like, you know, but like he's hanging out with the disciples on Saturday, whatever it is, right? So there are certain ones, right, that are more correct to the Greek and other ones that are more kind of connected like the thought, right, in modern English, right? So like the message is like way over here, um, which I would like kind of stay away from. And then like I'm in the ESV that's like kind of here. And then like NIV is like here and then NLT is like here. Stay on this side. Easy enough. All right. I don't know why I even shared that, but anyways. All right. Go to with me. Romans 6. Tim kicked us off last week. Uh, verses 1 through 14. I believe it's on the podcast, so if you want to go back and hear what he talked about or what I talked about 13 weeks um, all before that, um, you can do that as well. But uh, last week, he did verses 1 through 14, I believe, and uh, his kind of message is this. To live like Jesus, you must know Jesus. At least that's what he told me, so I hope he talked about that. And uh, today, we're going to be kind of picking back up where he left off, starting specifically in verse 15, and my hope, my prayer is that we're going to go from 15 to 23, complete Romans chapter 6 today. Now, I kind of want to pause and really quick kind of give you some insight into where we're headed. In Romans chapter 6, it talks a lot about freedom, what freedom really is, who really gives freedom, how you can experience freedom from sin, eternal death, even your old habits and your old addictions and your old life. Now, in Romans 6, 1 through 14, Paul talks about the old man. The old man is the old way of life, right? So for me, I became a Christian. Um, I guess, I can't, so crazy story. I was at another church, Cottonwood. It's a great church right over here. And uh, my mom used to go there. And uh, they had the guy that plays Jesus Christ in Passion of the Christ, uh, uh, like giving his testimony. And at the end, he was like an altar call. And I was like, well, I mean, Jesus is here. You know, I got to stand up, you know? And so I remember like in 10th grade, I like, stood up, you know? And then, like, that was, like, on a Wednesday night, and then on Friday night, I'm still getting drunk, you know? But, like, so, like, it took a while, let's say, to, like, that really to set in, you know, for really make a, like, volitional change, you know, in which uh, uh, my proclamation of faith was met in accordance with my lifestyle, right? But um, we're going to talk a lot about that, 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 that there is the believer that is saved but can choose to live saved 
or choose to live a lost life. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my, my prayer, my hope is to show you the difference between the two, that there are saved people that still live lost lives. And the, Paul works hard in Romans 6 to save you from that. He doesn't want you to have a saved soul, but still live a lost life. That's not what the gospel is about. I mean, yes, it's true. If you still get to go to heaven, that's great, right? But God has meaning and purpose and hope and joy and stability and fullness this side of heaven for you today, here, and right now. And that's what Paul is trying to teach us in the book of Romans 6. Now, um, a few things. Romans 6 really is all a compare and contrast. It operates like a Venn diagram. Do you guys remember those? By the way, I'm not really doing like a sermon. I'm doing like an exegetical teaching. You guys will like kind of do the application in your guys' group. So if you're like, where's he going? What's he talking about? Um, You're going to be the pastor in a minute. Uh, So a few things, right? So a Venn diagram. Um, On one side of the Venn diagram, Paul writes freedom. On the other side, he writes slavery. Now, when you think about those, they're kind of diametrically opposed to one another. Definitionally, they're, they're, they're different and distinct. Like a slave is not free. Someone who's free is not a slave. And so there really is no middle. It's like a Venn diagram with no middle, right? Paul is kind of teaching us this, that there are people, believers, and yes, obviously non-believers, but believers specifically, that believe they are free, but they're actually living in a type of slavery. That God, through his spirit, wants to free them. So they don't have to live like a slave any longer. So with that really in the back of your mind, I want you to go with me to Romans 6, chapter, uh, chapter, chapter 6, verse 15. Um, here's what it says. What then are we to sin because we are not under law? Uh, how much to say here? Okay, the law, right? So I'm going to have to bring us back to Romans 3 really quick. So because it was a while ago, the law, right? So like I'm sure you've heard of like the Ten Commandments before. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you're like you shouldn't murder and like do this, that, or their thing, right? I'm sure you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments before, right? Um, honor your parents, that stuff. Now, the law is more than just the Ten Commandments, right? There's actually 625 laws that come from the Torah. The Torah is just the Old Testament. Now, the law's purpose was never, ever, 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 ever to remove sin. It was just to reveal sin. Never, ever, 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 and never could it remove your sin. It's only designed to reveal your sin. That's important to understand because people think, well, if I can be a good person and go to heaven, if you follow the law, you go to heaven. No, the law just reveals that you suck. <laughs> it can't remove that you suck. <laughs> you need to be made new, changed new. That's why the Bible in John 3 talks about being spiritually reborn, made new. But that's another sermon. Now, the law, right? Um, I'll give you another analogy that makes, makes sense. Um, imagine you're speeding. And the, 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 the speed limit, you saw the sign, 45. You look down, you're going 55. You've broken the law. If there was a cop that saw you, he would be in his due right. And, and, through, the, and through the law, he could legally give you a ticket. You have violated the law. Now, let's say you see a mile later, and it says 55. And so you're okay, now I'm going to speed limit. I'm not going 10 miles per hour any longer. I'm going 55 miles per hour. Now, because you're in accordance and you're obeying the law then, does that remove the law that you broke then in the past? No, of course not. You still violated that law. This is the reason that good people don't get to heaven, because there's no such thing as a good person, because there's no person that's perfect. We'll talk about that in a second as well. So it says, under law, but under grace, by no means. His kind of argument is this, like, Okay, well, if God is a God of grace, if God is a God of forgiveness, then why can't I just like wild out all the time and then like do my Hail Marys and, uh, and, and, and things like that and God forgive me, right? In other words, what he's saying is freedom is not freedom to sin and do whatever you choose whenever you want to. I often get this question from uh, students, right? And if, they say, if God is all forgiving, then why not live as I want to and do with what I want all the time and then just ask forgiveness after I do what I want to do, right? Let me give you an analogy to show that like the fallacy in this. Imagine I cheat on my wife and I say I'm sorry. Then next week, I cheat on her, and I go, babe, I'm sorry. Like, could you forgive me? Yeah, just don't, don't do it again. Guess what happens next week? I cheat on my wife. Hey, 
sometimes I just get wild. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's something in my coffee. I don't know what it is. Uh, and like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Given that continual and habitual unfaithfulness, would you say I'm really sorry and I've demonstrated a change in my heart? No. What about you guys that drink every week and get drunk? What about you guys who sleep with your boyfriend and girlfriend? God, I, I know I shouldn't click on the WWX, whatever it is. What about, what about those of us, right, that, 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 are, that are sleeping around, getting drunk, getting high, watch, being addicted to pornography? I mean, we keep kind of like, God, like, God, forgive me, but, like, but like, like, then I start kind of placing myself in unwise decisions again. I start hanging on my old friends who were drinking, and then I go to the party. I start uh, bringing my phone into my bedroom, even know that every time I do that, I, I'm going to click on the websites I shouldn't. I start laying down with my girlfriend or boyfriend, even though every time I do, some weird things start happening. Whatever it may be, right, you're placing yourself in unwise decisions. Do you really want to change? Given your continual, habitual unfaithfulness to the Lord, would you say you're really sorry for your actions? And do you really want to change? Well, in my situation, it was, of course not. That was, that was clear, but what about in the rest of ours? Now, I also want to be um, grace-filled here. Forgiveness, and I need you to hear this, forgiveness is not about perfection. Forgiveness is about progression. God understands and knows that you will not be perfect. And for, for, <laughs> for him to expect you to be perfect in all situations uh, I'll say it this way. Jesus was perfect, so you don't have to be anywhere. What you need to be is relationally connected to him and progressing towards him each and every single day. Forgiveness is not about perfection. It's not about moral perfection. It's about relational progression. Are you moving more towards Jesus today than you were when you said yes to him whenever it was? Okay. If the answer to that question is yes, you're doing your job. Now, for those of us, right, that are entangled and trapped in, in, in sin, Paul has an answer to, t- to teach us you don't have to be a slave to that stuff any longer. You were choosing. You were a free person choosing to be a slave. Not a slave that's attempting to be free and can't be free. The gospel, Jesus' message, his Holy Spirit inside us, actually enables us to be free. But we also need to be changing our mind about certain things. We're going to talk about that in a second. Follow with me. I'm in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present, I want you to highlight this word, it's pivotal. Present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, highlight that as well. You are slaves of the one in whom you obey, either of sin which what's the natural consequence of sin? Romans 3.23, we learned about that. Leads to death or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, so we have sin. It's natural progression. It's consequences. It creates death. Then you have something else. You have what he calls his obedience, obedience to, uh, to, to, to Jesus. As his revealed word, you follow him. Obedience, it's natural progression, leads to righteousness. So if you are faithful to God and obedient and you listen to what he says, the natural progression of that is righteousness. You will be on right standings with him. Two words here that change my understanding of this entire text. The words presence, present and slaves. So present was the word. Let me uh, dissect it for you. So the word present here is to present, right? It's actually the language of worship, and it creates the word picture of presenting oneself or offering yourself in something in return. Now, it could be presenting yourself to get a trophy, like a beauty pageant potentially or something, Right? Um, or a sports game. It could be presenting yourself in, uh, to get a raise, or um, how to make this more specific to your guys' age. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Um, guys or girls that post, I want to say this carefully. <laughs> mm. 
Revealing. We use the word revealing pictures. Guys with their shirts off, flexing, whatever, veins in their neck and their head, like they're constipated, whatever, right? Uh, or girls like posting like half-naked photos. They are presenting themselves to the world in hopes of getting admiration, value, respect, and they, they interpret that through comments and likes. They're literally using their bodies to present themselves to the world to get something. That's what the word present means. By the way, their last song we did was uh, uh, Come to the Altar. Do you guys know what an altar is? Like, like we think it's like a... Like a you know, you sacrifice like pigs or something, or like goats or sheep. Or that, that's technically true, but an altar is that, where, that which you go and where you go to worship, a place where you go to renew your life. So could a gym be an altar? Absolutely. Could the bank be an altar? Could your job be an altar? Could your house be an altar? Yes. It's a place in your life where you go to get renewal, rejuvenated. It's not necessarily always a bad thing. Like going to the gym, working out, not a bad thing. Like, right? Like, but it's a place where you go to worship. It's a place where you're subscribing ultimate worth to. And you can see those people in the gym pretty easily. You can see those people um, in the banking industry pretty clearly, right? An altar is a place where you go to get and gain ultimate value, right? So the next, the word present is fundamental to the next word, slave. Now, it's very different than the type of slave, and we talked about this in weeks past, so I won't go too much into it. The Greek word doulos, it means like an indentured servant, not the type of slavery that existed horrifically in America that was 100% a sin. Not at all. An indentured servanthood was, I would sell myself. Oh, great example of this is the military. They are people who have restricted their freedoms to fight for freedom. Like, am I freer than somebody that's active in our military right now? Yes. If someone said, do push-ups, I go, nah, bro. Try doing that in the military. They're like, nah, I'm like, I like watching TV. The sergeant's going to go, are you freaking kidding? Like, are you, what? Like, that's not how this works. You have to subjugate yourself now to a master. You call him a lieutenant, a sergeant, a captain, whatever it may be, right? They have limited their freedoms in some capacity, in some way. That is how a slave operated in the ancient world for a specific time. In the military, it's four, six years, depending on your, um, your job and things along those lines. It actually kind of worked the very same way in the ancient world. It was either four, six, or 10 years, something like that, um, where you would limit your freedoms and you would work for a master to pay off something. Now, in the military, you're, get, you're getting you know, your college paid for, or money, or housing, or food, or something like that, right? That's kind of the idea of a slave, not like the slavery we had here, so I need to disconnect that. But a slave, biblically, is this, and I need you to hear this, because this makes sense and unlocks where we're headed. A slave is someone whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. Biblically, a slave is someone whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. I'm going to define that in a second. Now, if Paul is right, what this means is we all have a master. It could be someone we put in God's place, and you live for their approval, and you fear their rejection, but also could be something, like a pattern of living like the American dream, the master of, I need to finish college in four years, and so I will, I will devote everything to that, right? I, I won't get a job, um, or I will, but it'll be for these times. I'll reorient my entire schedule. I'll put God in a relationship with him on the back burner, because I have to take 15 or 17 or 21 units this semester, because I need to finish in four years, or I'm a nobody, <laughs> That's operating like a master in your life. So it could be a pattern. It could be, it could be the American dream, something like that. But here's Paul's point, that all good things and all good people are bad masters. All good things and all good people are bad masters. Now, let me define what the word master biblically means for us. Uh, it could be translated Lord Adonai is the word there, but it also could be translated instructor of life. Instructor of life. I also want to point out that verse 16, if you read it with me, is actually a question. It literally, it, it, it ends with a, with a question mark, right? It's not an exclamation mark, not a, not, a, not a period or a comma. It's literally a question mark. It says, 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one in whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Question mark. Here's what this means, and it's pivotal to understanding what Paul is trying to teach us here. What it means is that there are saved people choosing still to be held captive. I'll say it this way. The church is full of people who have a saved soul but live a lost life because part of their life is still mastered by old habits, old thought patterns, and old ways of life. And God wants to free you from those things. You know, a lot of the the enslavement that you may have experienced in life may have been imposed on you. You just had terrible parents. Something horrific happened in your childhood that is horrible. But let's be real for just a moment. A lot of our enslavement was invited by us. Most of the, the tragedies that have happened in my life wasn't because it was imposed on me. It was because I invited it into my life. I played around with alcohol in fifth grade and then basically became an alcoholic from fifth grade to I was 18. That's my dad's story. My dad at age 16 was in a bar because he played the guitar and they needed a guitarist. And so the guy thought he was older, the bartender, and handed him a glass of whiskey. And so from 16, my dad could have never known that that one glass of whiskey was eventually 60 years later going to lead to his very last breath because he's going to become an alcoholic and it was going to kill him. The things that he played with, the things that we play with when we were young will enslave us in the world, right? And so the idea of enslavement here, there's two sides of this. There could be a way of life, a lie that we believed about ourselves that could have been imposed about us, but rather we also could invite enslavement actively into our lives by being unwise, by clicking on the websites you shouldn't be clicking onto, by opening doors sexually that you shouldn't open until marriage, whatever it may be. Now, the beauty of the gospel here is this, that it doesn't just offer us forgiveness, which it does each and every single time, but it also offers us freedom. It offers us new life, right? Freedom to choose a new master and the life that that new master gives us, who's God or Jesus himself, who leads you to life. There are two types of life that are described throughout Scripture, in the New Testament more specifically. The first is bios, the Greek word for biology, Bios, it's just kind of surviving. It's inhale, exhaling. It's, it's not a life of fullness by any means, but the second type of life is a life of Zoe. A life of Zoe is a life that's full of purpose and meaning and, and freedom and anchoring of an identity, the filling of one's heart. I realize that many people settle for Bios and don't ever get to experience Zoe, a life of abundance, and that's because abundance is only found in walking in obedience with Jesus and making him your master. You will make something your master. You just get to decide whom you will serve. I'll say it this way. Actually, I'll hold the thought. I want you to go with me to the next verse, verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You had a master. You had a forced master that was leading you into destruction and into slavery and into death. And having been obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, that's the revealed word of God there, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. His point here is this, that only the Christian has the option to choose who they will serve. Everyone else has one option, like I said earlier. They are enslaved to their sin, which leads them to death. But the Christian, because of the Spirit of God in them, can truly choose God and his will for their lives if, the big if here is if they want to. What this means is that you can choose who you present and offer yourself to as a Christian, either God daily or sin daily. But you don't fool yourself. You are inviting, or rather you are presenting yourself either to God or you're presenting yourself to sin. This is important for us because we naturally, like I said, will live hell up. Every child's first word after, after mom or dad or something along those lines is normally mine or something like that. We have to teach, no one has to teach someone to be selfish. 
or, or greedy. You have to teach the opposite, to be generous, to be sacrificial, right? We naturally will invite hell up. The old man back is what it, we need to make the conscious decision to live hell down, heaven down. Follow with me, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because natural limitations. So Paul kind of apologizes here. He goes like, hey, real quick, I apologize for talking about slavery. 50% of the Romans that were reading this letter were most likely indentured servants. And so they were poor. Slavery was still kind of a t- like, it's like a soft and touchy topic even then, even though it was different. And so he says, look, I'm speaking in, I'm speaking in kind of cultural terms right now because uh, your, your natural like, limitations aren't really going to understand what I'm trying to teach you spiritually. So I need to use the word slave here. For just as you were once presented your members of slaves to impurity... And to, and you see the equation here, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, there's an equation. If you give yourself to lawlessness, uh, think of any action, attitude, or thought that's a deviation of what God's purpose is, it continues. So now present your members as a slave to righteousness, again, creating a new progression, natural progression, leading to sanctification. I want to pause for a second because insight goes further. He says, be made aware that whatever you choose... God or sin, you set in motion the basic principle of life, that whatever you give yourself to, it will become harder to choose the other one. This is important. Whatever you give, whatever you present, whatever you sacrifice, whatever you surrender yourself to, it'll become harder and harder and harder to choose whatever the opposite is. This is both good and both bad. The good part, walking with Jesus becomes easier and easier the longer you've been walking with him. Right? The marathon becomes easier towards the end of the race than in the beginning of it. In a way, you have allowed Jesus to master you, choosing his will above your own. And so when you say things like, not my will, but yours, it becomes easier and easier and easier and easier to use his will. However, this is equally true of sin, the opposite. The longer that you walk in sin, the easier and easier it becomes. As you have allowed sin to master you, it becomes easier and easier to step further and further and further and further into depravity. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, years ago, I had a, uh, an eighth grade um, student come to me, and uh, it was actually on the stage, and I sat right here, and he sat, and there was a chair over there. And he said, um, I've never told anybody this before, but in sixth grade, two years ago, um, I had a friend that showed me a picture of, uh, of a naked woman. And that imprinted it in my mind in such a way that I went home, and, and I eventually I saw a clip of, of, of two people having sex. And that clip turned into uh, a video. And that video turned into the last few years, hours every single day I've been watching porn. This is an eighth grade kid. But you can see that the progression that starts with a picture and it continues and continues and continues and continues. And now he says that as an eighth grade boy, he can't even look at another girl his age and not physically undress her in his mind. He's become enslaved, held captive to the sin. There's also some biological things, neuroplasticity that's happening there. But He's, he's, not just, he's actually physically becoming enslaved to this, by the way, but also spiritually now enslaved to this. The point is this, that whatever you allow your will to be swallowed up in, it'll master you, and all masters lead you somewhere. You ask where? Well, where, where do the two masters, God or sin, where does it lead me? He tells us, remember, go back in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anybody as obedient slaves, you're the slaves of the one in whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now, we talk about death here. What do we mean? Well, for the Christian, it's not spiritual death that sin leads us to, but it'll be the death of something in our lives. It could be uh, the death of joy, the death of peace, communion with God, stability, fullness, something along those lines. His point is simple. Sin as your master always leads you to death. Jesus as your master always leads you to life. And so let me quantify this or make this personal. If, if you truly want freedom in your life, you need to obey Jesus truly. If you want freedom in your life truly, you need to obey Jesus truly. 
What this means is that there may be a percentage of us here in this room today that are saved, but you're not free. In other words, I'll, I'll, make it, I'll, I'll say it this way. Jesus did what only he could do, save you, but you haven't done what he's asked you to do, obey. I'll say this again. Jesus has done for you what only he can do, save your soul. But you haven't done what he has asked you to do, obey him, so he can also save your life. If you live in disobedience, don't expect to live in freedom. If you're living in unblessable, you can't continue to walk or run in disobedience and expect to run into God's provision and blessing in your future. That'd be silly. I also want to say that, like I went back and I said about perfection and progression. You were not perfect. And so there'll be moments of disobedience in our lives. And what that really means is that you will not be who you will be when you meet Jesus face to face in heaven one day. But if you were actually pursuing a relationship with Jesus, you shouldn't be who you were when you first met him, however long ago that was. The beauty of the gospel is this, that you and I are allowed to come to God as we are. However, you are not allowed to stay as you are. God loves you too much to leave you and I in our sin. You can come to him as you are with all the baggage, even if you're sinless as long as a CVS receipt, you can come to him. But you're not allowed to stay as you are. Those addictions that you had years ago, you shouldn't have them today if you're actually pursuing a relationship with God. Those old thought patterns, Romans 12, 2, don't conform to the patterns will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so many of us are enslaved in the old ways of life because we believe things about ourselves for so long that aren't actually true. So another thing that I want to point out here is this, and I was going to go in different directions here, but I decided not to do the parable that came to my mind. Interesting thing that he highlights here is that it isn't hearing God's word that frees us. It's not, there's nothing special about you because you're sitting in a church right now. There's nothing special about me because I'm standing on a stage right now. Hearing God's word isn't what frees you or changes you. Obeying God's word is what frees you and changes you. Follow with me in the next verse. says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. It's kind of a joke there that flies right over our head. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. It's kind of like saying, like, when you were married, you were free from singleness. It's kind of a joke that flies over our heads, but I guess they thought it was funny. Anyway, but uh, what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. See, one of the indications that you're being set free from the master of sin is the things that you used to brag about are the things that cause you shame today. Man, I, I, used to get, I used to get so drunk and so high. Now you look back and you go like, ugh, like what the heck was I doing? Or I slept with every boyfriend or girlfriend I had over a month or whatever it was. And you look at that and you kind of go, who, who was I? What was I looking for? The truth is, each of us, right, we can look back in our lives at something we're ashamed of. Shame is the awareness of our unworthy actions or rather the emotional reaction to something we have done that doesn't match up any longer with who we are today. And so we look back at areas and moments in our lives and we go like, what was I doing? Who was I? I want you to follow with me in verse 22. But now, now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit you, leads, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, its telos, its, its, its purpose, its goal, eternal life. Here's what this means. God has set you free, so live free now. In uh, the book of Exodus, there's a fascinating story that just came to my mind. Um, maybe you've read the story of Exodus, you know, let my people go, the whole parting of the wood waters, crazy things. And uh, Moses leads 1.7 million Israelites through the Red Sea. On the other side, just a few months and days later, after God is feeding them with food that falls from the sky, which is like wild, just Dunkin' Donuts falling from the sky, right? And they're, they're complaining. They get to the other side, um, and something perplexing happens. They start like kind of being angry with Moses. Well, at least we had like 
the variety of donuts that we liked or whatever, you know, whatever they're complaining about over in Egypt. And he's like, dude, you were slaves there. You had slave masters. They were whipping you every day. You had to build the pyramids or whatever. Like your life sucked. And they're literally saying, well, no, wait, let's go back. These are free people that want to become slaves again. Man, that's a lot of us. We're free people that are choosing to go back into an addiction that we should have closed years ago when we met Jesus, back into a way of life that should have been in the past because God has made you a new creation. See, this idea of being set free means that those addictions can be conquered, that that emptiness that you can be filled, that lostness can be given a direction, that brokenness can be healed in Jesus' name. John 8 says this. It says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul said, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. It's gone. Behold, the new has come. New life is possible if you do your part in your relationship with Christ, which is simple. He saves you and you obey. And as you obey, you will learn to put him over everything and he will change everything. He will store everything and renew everything. All the last verse for today. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. A few things here. Um, I'll tell you about this. Wages. What are wages? For those of you guys that work, what's a wage? You work at, I don't know where you work, In-N-Out, McDonald's, Raven Cane's, whatever. Um, and you work there, and for however many hours you've accrued a wage. Wages are payments due for services rendered. In other words, what Paul is saying here is because all have sinned, we've worked in the sin factory, whatever it is. What wages that we are deserved is death. Now, what is the death that's talked about here? There are three types of death in Scripture. The first type of death that's described in Scripture is simple. It's spiritual death. It's God's presence removed from us this side of heaven. What is spiritual death? Spiritual death is God's presence removed from us this side of eternity. So for those of you guys that aren't believers in this room, this is your life. You experiencing at this moment right now spiritual death. You are disconnected and not, set, not connected to the very source and sustainer of life himself, Jesus Christ. Also say this, if you are a believer, this is the closest to hell you're ever going to get. If you are not a believer, this is the closest to heaven you are ever going to get because there's something called common grace. We can talk about that a little bit later. Spiritual death, number two, physical death. This is your body removed from its soul. And then finally is eternal death. This is your soul removed from its creator forever and ever and ever. Those of you guys that aren't believers in Jesus, you've already experienced one third of this. See, when Paul talks about death here, he is not talking about a funeral, which will come at the end of our lives, which is a death. He's talking about something that you experience right now when you are alive. I was trying for an hour to try to figure out in a sentence the type of death that he is describing. And only one sentence came to me. Death is a life void of life. Death is a life void of life. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever, ever seen someone's life that seemed lifeless? Like there's just no joy, no meaning, no purpose. There's, there's just, there's time and ticking until it's not ticking any for that person any longer. My dad passed away on uh, January 15th, um, 2015. And uh, January 1st, he uh, had his little back room, it was a den, that was my childhood den, and he called me in there and he sat down on the, uh, on the, on the couch and, and he, I don't know if my dad knew he was passing away, if the doctors told him um, that, that him becoming an alcoholic his whole life really was, his body was shutting down. He kind of just began to just vent to me about his life. He retired. He was a police officer before that. He retired in, in about nine months or so before that. And I remember, like, looking at the emptiness in his eyes. 
Like he just told me he felt like he had no meaning. He was an atheist his entire life, but there was no reason in his heart. But he said, I just feel like I'm a housemate. All I do is cook. All I do is clean. All I do is wait for you guys to get home. I just feel like I have, I have no meaning. I have no purpose. Why am I here was the question that he asked me. This is the time that I was an intern here at this church. And I just remember that image of my dad, the lostness that was in his eyes. And 14 days later, my dad left this world equally as empty as he felt that day. In juxtaposition, a few months after that, my wife's grandfather passed away, a man named Norman. He was a pastor for 70 years and was married for 70 years. Up until the day he died, he was out of a church shaking hands with people, praying with people, even preaching, things along those lines. He was a phenomenal and awesome guy. Whenever you looked into his eyes, you saw wholeness. It's what the Bible calls a shalom. It's not, it's not just peace, it's completion. At the end of his life, he was full, more full with a lifetime of walking with Jesus than the moment he said yes, than the moment that, 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 that he said yes to following Jesus, yes to being faithfully married for 70 years, more full at the end of his life than he was at any other point. Why? Because of the master that he chose to serve. At the end of their lives, both of these men in my life, they were products of the masters they chose to live by. One leads a life that's void of life, and the other a life that's whole and it's full. And so before I pray for you guys and get you in your group, I just have a simple question for you. Who, what master, what master will you choose to live by? And it's, I'll quantify that because that's what you're going to talk about in a second. Who are you allowing to instruct your life today? From an outside perspective, if I or someone else were to look at your life, your decisions, I'll, what master are you living for? The, question, the second question is, who are you letting instruct your life? Where are you getting a sense of value, identity, meaning, and purpose in the direction for your life? Put your arm around somebody. I'll pray for us, and then we'll hop into those groups. Father, today I'm thankful that you are a God that gives life, and you give it abundantly, like John 10.10 10 teaches us. Lord, I ask God that you would help us not just live the bios life that every person gets to live, but the Zoe life that's enabled and empowered by your spirit. Father, would you renew, would you restore? And God, would you continue to draw us closer to yourself, the very source of life itself? Lord God, we love you, we thank you, we give you this time, would you teach us and grow us? It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scdchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.